part in that. So uh, we are in Genesis. Um, we're in Genesis uh, chapter 45. We left the crew, Joseph and his brothers, in a grand time of reunion. They were back, they, they, they didn't realize who Joseph was, and for the first time in over 20 years, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. And Benjamin was there. Can you imagine, you know, it, tell, it tells us a little bit about the emotion that's going on. And think about the emotion of that scene. You have 10 brothers who sold him into slavery. As a matter of fact, they threw him in a pit waiting for him to die, and he wouldn't die fast enough. So they decided they sold him. Can you imagine the emotion they had when he said, I am Joseph. Whoa! Fear and trembling came to mind. A whole lot of guilt. Joseph. And then little Benjamin. I mean, Joseph was 17. We don't know exactly how old Benjamin was, but he was Joseph's little brother. And he sees his brother after 20 years. 20 or more years, he sees his brother. And he goes, this is my flesh and blood. This is my only full brother. And that emotion that, that Benjamin had, and then, of course, Joseph's emotion of, wow, look what God has done. And so we're going to look at this journey. It's not only a journey of miles. We're going to look at the journey that they took as they reunited and then as they came down to Egypt. So turn to Genesis chapter 45. And last week we left off with verse 8. We're going to pick back up at verse 8. And we're going to look at what God did. Especially, I want you to look at what God did in Joseph's heart. 45 verse 8, now therefore, it was not you, this is Joseph speaking, who sent me here, but God. And he has made me a father to Pharaoh and a lord of all the household and ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry and go up to my father and say to him, thus says your son Joseph, God has made me lord of all Egypt, come down to me, do not delay you shall live in the land of Goshen. You shall be near me, you and your children and your children's children and your flocks and your herds and all you have. And there I will provide for you for there are still five years of famine to come. And you and your household and all that you have would be impoverished. Behold, your eyes see and the eyes of my brother Benjamin see what is in what is my mouth which is speaking to you now you must tell my father of all of the splendor in Egypt and all that you have seen and you must hurry and bring my father back here and then he held his brother Benjamin's neck oh he fell on his brother Benjamin's neck and wept and Benjamin wept on his neck and he kissed all his brothers and wept on them and afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Now, 
you look at this amazing scene, but I want you to look back at the first visit. What was the first visit like when they came? They came down. It was the ten brothers. Benjamin didn't come with them. And what did he do? It says he spoke to them harshly. He said, you're spies. I'm going to throw you all in prison. And he did indeed throw them in prison. And it says, uh, well, I should give you the the line because you guys want to fill this in, right? God's forgiveness and plan. Because it was God's plan. And I believe it was God's forgiveness working through Joseph. Because when they first came down, he wasn't very pleased with them. He was remembering when he was a 17-year-old kid, scared, down in the bottom of a pit, dying of thirst, and then being sold as a slave. He's remembering all of these years that he spent in prison, Seven, or 13 years, he, he was either was a slave or he was in prison. He wasn't very happy with his brothers. Matter of fact, it says in chapter 42, verse 17, and so he put them all together in prison for three days. And I was reading that, and I wonder, why, why three days? Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how long he spent in the pit, but I'm wondering if it wasn't three days. I wonder if they threw him down that pit, you know, waiting for him to die of thirst down there. He said, I'm going to teach you guys what it's like. You guys are going to get a little taste of what I went through when I was in that pit. And he put all the brothers together in prison for three days. You think about this, guys. And he, he, that was when they came down the first time. And, and then they go back, and, and all that time, God's working on him. God's working on, on Joseph. And he's telling him, he's saying, listen, I'm going to use you to save your family. But you can't do it if you got hardness in your heart. You can't do it if you're bitter towards your brothers. Yes, Simeon's sitting over here in prison, but when they come back down, you're going to have to forgive them. Because my plan does not work in the middle of unforgiveness. And God's plan rarely works when there's unforgiveness. Ephesians 4 tells us, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. And I want you to look at those first words, bitterness, Wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. Those are some pretty hard words, aren't they? Have you ever felt that? Somebody has wronged you, and the longer you stew in that, any, anybody ever stew? You, you know, they say stew in your own juice. You, know, you get that little ulcer going, right? You, you know, every time you see them, you kind of go... Yeah, you've been, you, 
right? And the longer that goes on, what happens? It, it goes to wrath and anger. And then you, you're trying to hold it in, but somebody says, well, well, remember so-and-so, and you go, oh, that dirty, rotten, frigger, racker, 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 right? You, know, you, you get all, and the slander comes in. And then you get to malice. Ooh, I wish God would kill that person. Right? We, get, we can get all worked up, but, but the, the other side of that is what? Oh, be kind to one another. Wow, isn't that a little bit different? Be tender-hearted. You ever heard the term being hard-hearted? Do we, and we can get that way. We can get that way. And, and how do you go from being hard-hearted to tender-hearted? Man, you've got to forgive. Without forgiveness, you're, you're not going to get to tender-hearted so you can forgive. And I believe that's what's happening in Joseph's life all of this time, that in these years that have passed since, or a year or so that has passed since, they went back, and Simeon's sitting over here in, in prison. He's waiting for him to come back, and Dad says, you're not going down. You're not going to take Benjamin until they finally get to the point they have no food left, that God is working in his heart. But you, we've all, we've been in that place where, but you don't understand what they did to me. Right? I see a few heads. You don't understand how bad it was. Look at the last part. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. Where was that forgiveness granted? On the cross. When Jesus hung on the cross, he looked down at the Pharisees who had accused him. He looked down at the Romans who had nailed him to the cross, who had beaten him beyond recognition. And what did he say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. That's where forgiveness comes from. When we realize how much God has forgiven us, he says, you need to forgive those that have wronged you. And the wrong is there, absolutely. And can I understand it? Absolutely not. Why somebody would do things like that? But God says, you can forgive, because I've forgiven you. And that was what was happening in Joseph's life. He was, he was going from the place where he threw them into prison to, I'm going to supply everything that they need. And God gave him a plan. You notice that when we, we, he said, you go and bring dad back, and I'm going to put you in Goshen. Now, if you look at a map of Egypt, Goshen is right up where the Nile River, the Nile River comes out and it splits and then it becomes a big delta. And it has all these smaller rivers that come off the Nile and it's just beautiful, lush farmland. It's where, and he said, I'm going to put you in Goshen, 
the best of the best. That's where God's going to send you when you get here. And he had the authority to do it. God gave him the plan. He gave him forgiveness. And then he gave him the plan. And he said, you're going to calm down and you're going to go to Goshen. And I'm going to provide for you. Well, let's keep going because I want you to see how God works. In 45, beginning in 16, he says, Now the news was heard in Pharaoh's house that Joseph's brothers had come, and it pleased Pharaoh and his servants. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Say to your brothers, do this. Load your beasts, go back to the land of Canaan, and take your father and your households and come to me, and I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you will eat the fat of the lamb, land. And now you are ordered, do this, take wagons from the lands of Egypt from your, for your little ones and for your wives, and bring your father and come. And do not concern yourself with the goods, for the best of all the land of Egypt is yours. And then he goes on to, to, and he sends all kinds of things to make their trip easy. God, how, how does God work? God provides the best. God provides the best for them. And, and I, when I was looking at this, I thought, you know, they came down in a Ford Pinto and they're going back in a Cadillac. Right? I mean, they came down with, with their donkeys loaded. You know, they were, you know, that's, that's the slow. If you, anybody ever use donkeys to try to transport something? If you ever have, if you ever watch it, they are the slowest things. They're very sure-footed. But when they decide to stop, what do they do? Stop. And they're not going to go until they decide it's time to go. But here they are, they're going back with all these wagons and all of these supplies that, that he sends for the trip. Pharaoh gets involved and he says, yeah, come on down. God provides with the best. He doesn't leave us to, to wander around with, you know, driving the, the, the old Yugo, you know, trying to, trying to keep it on the road. He provides us with the best. Ephesians 3, 20 to 21 says, Now to him who is able to do far more, the word, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Abundantly, that's how God provides for us. You know, I think quite often we kind of get this mentality, oh, we have to suffer for Jesus and we have to live in, 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 as a pauper. And, and God says, no, I'm going to supply all your needs according to whose power? His power. And he did that in this case. He provided everything that they needed and he provided the best. Not just one or two little carts. He got the wagons from, from Pharaoh's palace to haul them all down. Well, let's continue on in our narrative here. 
uh, verse 24. And so he sent his brothers away, and, and they departed. And he said to them, do not quarrel on the journey. I kind of, I don't know why God put this in here, but I, it's amusing, isn't it? Don't fight. Anybody have brothers? Right? Yeah. Don't fight on the way. And then they went up from Egypt, they came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And they told him, saying, Joseph is still alive. And indeed he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. But he was stunned, for he did not believe them. And when they told him all the words of Joseph that he had spoken to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived. And Israel said, it is enough. My son Jacob, Joseph is alive. I will go and see him before I die. Good news are the word, is the word. Help me out. I struggled with this, Janice. Is it is or are? It could be either one. That's what I thought. I, went, I changed that about four times. Yes. Where's the plural? Anyway. Good news are the words of life. Look what it did for, you know, Jacob had been in mourning. Remember he got the news back. Simeon was in prison. Joseph's gone. You're not taking Benjamin. And when he let them take Benjamin, he said, May I, I'm going to go down to the grave if Benjamin doesn't come back. He had been just totally devastated. But as soon as he heard, Joseph's alive! His, his whole demeanor changed. His, his heart, you know, you ever, you ever have somebody come up to you and say, well, do you want the good news or the bad news? Which do you want first? Anybody here, who here is a good news first pe people? We got any good news first people? You want to hear the bad news first? No, you want to hear the, yeah. I, I usually want to hear the bad news first, right? Because get it over with. Get the, get the bad news out of the way. And then you finish with the good news because, oh, okay. Whew, it's, it's, yeah, right? Eat dessert first, right? Life's short. You want the good news and, and Proverbs tells us, bright eyes gladden the heart. Good news puts fat on the bones. Isn't that interesting? What happens when you get bad news and you're feeling bad and you're, you don't want to eat, do you? You don't feel like eating. You're sitting here with all this stuff and you're, you know, you're, you're like, oh, nah. Somebody says, oh, come on, you got to eat. Nah, I don't feel like it. Good news puts fat on the bones. In Proverbs 25, 25, it says, like cold water to a weary soul, so is good news from a distant land. I was out working on, on Friday, uh, chipping, chipping wood from a project I was working on, chipping uh, laurel branches. Had a ton of them. And... Uh, Eileen came home, and uh, so I shut everything down, and, and uh, she said, can I get you some water? And she brought me two big old waters out of the, uh, we have a fridge in the shop, 
two big old wa- bottles of water out of the fridge, and I sat, sat in my chair, and I just said, oh, yes, thank you. Cold water to a weary soul. Good news. He brought good news, and, and, and we have good news. God brings us good news. And, and one of the things, you know, when we see people that, that look a little bit down, you know, you don't want to, oh, come on, it'll be okay. But it's nice to be able to bring them some good news. Hey, guess what God did? Guess what God's going to do for you? And, and it brings us back to life. Well, let's, let's run on into to chapter 46. And let's watch this journey. And so Israel sets out with all he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he says, here I am. And he says, I am God. Don't you love it when you hear that? I am God. It'll be okay. We just have to listen. We have to shut out the noise of the world and listen for God to say, I am God. It's okay. So he says, I am God, the God of your father. Don't be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you a great nation there. I, I will go down with you to Egypt, and I will for surely bring you up again, and Joseph will close your eyes. And then Jacob arose from Beersheba, and the sons of Israel carried their father Jacob and their little ones and their wives in the wagons which Pharaoh had sent to carry them. And they took their livestock and their property that they had acquired in the land of Canaan and came to Egypt. And Jacob and all his descendants with him, his sons and his grandsons with him and his daughters and his granddaughters and all the descendants he brought with them to Egypt. We need to remember those who've gone before and those who will come after. Notice that, that he stopped in Beersheba. Beersheba was the place that his father, Isaac, had made his base. That's where, that's where he grew up, in Beersheba. And he stops there and he offers a sacrifice. And, and the Israelites were, were big on this, to remember what God is doing. Go back to the places where things have happened in your life where God has worked and remember them. Remember them. And we need to do that. We need to, you know, I, I sit down pretty much every week with Fred and just say, how you doing, Fred? How, Fred was here when this church started, right? A couple years ago. He has more institutional knowledge of this place than anybody around here. What a treasure trove we have. Go to the ones who know. Go to the ones who've experienced the the miracles of how God paid for this place. The miracles of how 
these buildings were built, the miracles that have taken place inside this as children and grandchildren have gotten saved and gotten involved. That we need to remember what's gone before, but also it says, what? It says, remember those that come after. Did you see all the, the little ones that are involved in this? He says, your sons and your grandsons, your daughters and your granddaughters. That's the next generation. And he took all of them with them. And I can imagine as he sat in one of those one of those wagons with all the little ones gathered around him in the wagon. And he says, oh, you see that hill over there? That's where God did this. You see that mound of stones? That's where God did this. As they traversed down through, he was able to tell these little ones the stories of his youth. He's an old man now. And he tells his grandchildren, and probably by this time great-grandchildren and maybe even some great-greats, and he tells them the stories of his youth. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and consider the result of their conduct and imitate their faith. I'd like to meet the preacher who prayed for the preacher who prayed with me down on my knees. I'd like to shake the hand that reached out the hand to the hand that reached out to me. There's a history of those who've gone before us. I had a chance Last week to go up with a pastor who gave me my first job in the ministry. He has Alzheimer's now. And he brought me a set of J. Vernon McGee's Through the Bible in leather bound. And he said, I want you to have these while I can remember where they're going. Wow. Remember those who have led you. And then Deuteronomy 4 tells us, only give heed to yourself and keep your soul diligent so that you do not forget which your eyes have seen and you do not depart from your heart all the days of your life, but make them known to your sons and grandsons and remember the day you stood before the Lord your God at Horeb when the Lord said, Assemble the people to me that I may let them hear my words so that you may learn to fear me in all the days you live on the earth, that they may teach their children. Pass it on. And kids, young people, don't take them for granted because there's going to come a time when they're not there. And you can't ask those questions. And you want to know. Find out. Well, let's continue on. We're going we're gonna to skip the next section uh, because it's a lot of hard names. And I don't like hard names. Well, it's all the children and grandchildren, all the descendants. There's 70 of them that, that end up in Egypt. 70. And they're going to grow to several million. 
going to take 400 years that they're going to be down there. But there's 70 of them. And I want you to come to verse 28. Come to verse 28. Now he sent Judah before him to Joseph to point out the way before him to Goshen. And they came into the land of Goshen. Joseph prepared his chariot and went up to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as he appeared before him, he fell on his neck and wept on his neck a long time. Then Israel said to Joseph, Now let me die, since I have seen your face, that you are still alive. And Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are in the land of Canaan, have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock, and they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. And when Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. And listen to this, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. And some of your translations probably say they're abomination to the Egyptians. Now this is kind of an interesting piece of the story here. The Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. Now, why would God send them to some place where they were an abomination? Why wouldn't he? I mean, he could have sent them to Assyria. He could have sent them to Babylon. God could have worked through any of these places, but he worked through Egypt. And this is, and, and when you look at this, Joseph had experienced this. Remember what Potiphar's wife said after she, he, he ran off? She has his cloak and she called all the men around. And she said, what is this Hebrew done that he brought into our house? She knew he was a Hebrew. And a matter of fact, it was well known because even the, the chief uh, cupbearer said, when we were in prison, there was a Hebrew youth that heard our dream. And we see this, and, and so he had experienced it firsthand. A matter of fact, when you go back to the story from last week, remember the big, the big lunch Right? The big lunch they had. and It says, and so they served him. They served Joseph. What? By himself. And them, the, the brothers, by themselves. And then look at what it says. And the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves. Because the Egyptians could not eat bread with the Hebrews for that is loathsome to the Egyptians. Can you imagine being the vice president, basically, of Egypt 
and the Egyptians won't even eat with you because of who you are. A little bit of discrimination going on there, isn't there? But why? Why were they an abomination? Well, it comes down to the fact, what did he say? Tell them what you do. You keep livestock and you keep sheep. Your shepherds, your cattlemen. Well, interestingly enough, one of the major idols, major gods of the Egypt, Egyptians was a female god who had the head of a cow and the body of a woman. And they worshipped her. She was the god of fertility. Well, they also worshipped a male god by the name of Ammon, and he had the head of a ram and the body of a human, body of a man. He was a male deity. Now, you think, okay, what did the Hebrews sacrifice to Yahweh? The one true God they sacrificed cattle and sheep. Can you imagine what the Egyptians were thinking? They're taking the symbol of our God and they're, they're sacrificing it to what they call Yahweh, the one true God, the I Am. Israel didn't have a bunch of these little gods out here that they worshipped. And they were literally taking the symbol of what the Egyptians worshipped and slaughtering them and offering them as sacrifices. How could you do that? And so the Hebrews were an abomination to the Egyptians. Well, why is that important? What was happening when they lived up in Canaan? They were taking Canaanite wives, they were worshiping Canaanite idols, and God said, you're never going to grow in your, in your faith in Canaan even though this is the promised land, I promised all of this to, to Abraham. I, it's all yours. But you keep running after their idols. And then secondly, he said, you're not big enough. You're not big enough to not only defeat any of these people, but to actually occupy the land. So I need to send you someplace safe. I need to send you someplace where you will grow spiritually pure. You will grow socially pure. And you won't be influenced by the, by the society you go to. So he sent them to Goshen. To the Egyptians. And the Egyptians didn't want to have anything to do with them. And God says, I got you right where I want you. You can grow. In grace, while you're there. And one day, now they had no idea it was going to take 400 years. 400 years. And God says, now's the time. Now I'm going to lead you. You, you, have, you have grown in your faith. You have grown in size. So when I take you out of here, you will be able to not only conquer the land, but you will be able to occupy the land. God had a perfect plan, 
and he had the perfect place to put them with the Egyptians because the Egyptians didn't want to have anything to do with them. That sound a little bit about the world today with Christians? Are we an abomination to the world? We serve who? The only true God. And the world says what? There is no God. But the book of Psalms says, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. The world says, hey, you can, you can get to heaven all, any way you want. But what does God say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. God has given us the opportunity to stand fast in this world. To, 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 when people come and say, well, why don't you, why don't you do this, or, or why don't you allow that? Because God's word says no. God's word says you were created in the image of God. It doesn't matter who you are. You're created in his image for love. And we're going to love whoever comes our way. Matthew chapter 7 says, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it, for the gate is small, and the way is narrow that leads to life, and there are few who find it. The Marines have a saying, right? The few, the proud, the brave, right? Is that it? Any Marines in here? Right? Something like that. As Christians, we have a responsibility to be the few. To be the ones who stand up and say, you know what? I, I'm going to put God's word first. When God says there's one way, I'm, I'm going to believe it. We have to enter through that narrow gate. And God has plans. We don't know how long they're going to take. For the, for the Israelites, it took 400 years for God's plan to be completed before they were ready to go in the promised land. I don't know how long God has for us before we get to go to the promised land. Before we get the opportunity to say, to hear that trumpet, and God says, come on up. I don't know how long that is, but one day he said he will. You will hear that trumpet, and you will be called up. And in the meantime, he said, you need to keep, keep on believing, keep on trusting God, keep on preaching his word, keep on bringing people to the narrow way even though most of them will want to go over here. Most of them will want to take the broad way. But that's our responsibility because God is saying, I'm raising you up for a purpose. I'm raising you up as the church of God to preach the word in the last days so that people hear and repent and come to me. That's what he called us to do. Well, we're going to come to a time of communion.
And, you know, communion as Jesus talked with his disciples. He was preparing them, right? He says, hey, guys, I'm going to go away. He says, you, you don't understand this yet, but I'm leaving. And I've done everything I can to prepare you. But you guys are going to have to stick together. You're going to have to trust each other. Because when I'm gone, the world is going to hate you for who you are. And, and it really did. I mean, when you look at how every one of the apostles died, it's pretty horrendous. But Jesus was preparing them. And he said, he said listen, guys, don't quarrel on the journey. You need each other. They will know you by your love. And you know how much I love you? He said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Take and eat. One of these days, you guys will literally shed your blood for each other in protection of each other. And I'm going to shed my blood for you. This is my blood that's given in remission of sin. Take and drink. As we remember the communion and we remember what Jesus did for us, the forgiveness he gave us so that we can forgive others, I want us to remember that it's a promise. It's a promise for what's to come. He told Israel, he said, don't be afraid to go to Egypt. I will surely bring you out. He didn't leave them in Israel. Yes, they leave them in Egypt. They spent a long time there. He said, I will surely bring you out. And just as he said that to them, he says to us, I prepared a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come back and get you. That's the promise that he gives us in communion. Communion is in the center, the back two corners, and the front two corners. The cups are stacked with the wafer at the bottom and the uh, juice at the top. If you'd be kind enough to reach into the pew in front of you, there's hand sanitizer. We want to do this as sanitary as we can. We offer open communion here, which means if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're welcome to share with us. You don't have to be a member of this church to share communion with us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to come to your table this morning and remember not only what you did in the past to bring us to a place of, of salvation, but a promise of the future that you hold for us that you will come again and take us to be with you. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.